Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. His gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. And we're one of those generations, Lord, that it's enduring too. And we're so grateful, Lord. You do certainly, Lord, fulfill these words in our hearts and minds. We want to praise you, bless your name, magnify you today in a way, Lord, that would bring uh, blessings to your heart this morning as you bless ours. So we're going to thank you, Father, for all that you say and do today in this church, in Lighthouse Baptist, and for whoever it will reach. In Jesus' name, amen. The pastor is a shepherd. Did you notice that? He said, you know, it says uh, Jesus is God, God is a shepherd, but so is a pastor. And we are, the, are his people, the sheep of his, his uh, pasture. So the pastor is uh, often referred to as a shepherd, and and his responsibilities revolve around three primary needs of his sheep. I have a couple messages on this, and maybe we'll deal with, it, with it, all the things that he does as a shepherd, but there's three primary things that kind of encompasses it all. Number one is this, or is seeking, seeking sheep. Second is feeding sheep, and third is keeping his sheep. All right, now you can write that down if you want. That won't be on the paper I give you. But they're pretty self-explanatory, and I want to, it's kind of the foundation for what I'm about to say to you. So the, 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 they're greatly needed right now uh, because we're losing pastors. We're losing shepherds all over the state, and we need them very uh, desperately. So first is sheep need to be sought. Right Now, these are not the 15 things I'm going to give you in a minute, but sheep need to be sought, and uh, they tend to go astray. That's what the Bible says. And God puts shepherds in place to seek after them and bring them back home. So on my mind as your shepherd is somebody that's not here today. Right? When I look and I see, I'll be asking, I'll say, well, I know what's going on. So I'll say to my wife afterwards, I, I know what's going on. I wasn't here today. You know, she wasn't here, he wasn't here, or whatever. And I hope everything's all right. You know? That's just the way our, the shepherd mind works, right? You're always counting your sheep. So they need to be sought. They are easily distracted. They have a hard time staying in one place. They're easily detoured or misled and, and need a shepherd to help them stay within the fold and on the path that Jesus wants them to stay on. So they are also easily deceived. And that makes them vulnerable, right? Sheep are vulnerable. Psalm 119, 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. So even, even in David in what I consider the greatest psalm in the, in the Bible, the center psalm with all of the, about the word of God, he says, I've, I've gone astray. And we've all had those moments where we've gone astray. Right? Isaiah 53, 6, for all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. We have a tendency to go our own way. Even though we might have somebody trying to help us, you know, in the right way, we have a tendency to go our own way. And the Lord had to lay the iniquity of, of all of our sins on Jesus because of that. 1 Peter 2, 25, for, we, for ye were as sheep as going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd, the bishop of, of your souls. 
So we were once lost, right? And then we found Jesus as our Savior, uh, the bishop of our souls, and we got saved, and now he watches over us. So, so they need to be, uh, you need to uh, seek them. Um, so they need to be sought. Secondly, sheep also need to be fed. But unfortunately, they're finicky eaters. Now hear me when I say this, because I've been preaching a while. And I've learned some things. They often won't eat or they don't like what you're feeding them. They come into the presence of the shepherd a little critical. And they bleat, I call it. Bad. Bad shepherd. (laughs) They do that like you're killing them when you try to shear them up a little bit. And uh, sheep need to be sheared, by the way, or they won't live. Uh, But they need to be sheared once in a while to keep them spiritually active and useful. Uh, they often reject the shepherd or the uh, truth of God's word that was meant to nourish them and protect them. They often make self-righteous statements like this, and I'm sure you've heard them. I'm just not being fed there anymore. Or, I don't like the way the preacher dresses. Uh, I'm not sure I like these pews. You know, it just goes on and on. I was once told, I re- this is a true, I, I'm <laughs> I was once told I reference too many scriptures in my messages. <laughs> yeah, I want some more stories, the man said. More illustrations. And I, and I, I didn't even know how to answer that. <laughs> so some need to be entertained, don't they? Right? To, the, uh, to their own liking or in order to keep their attention. And when they don't get the way it tastes, that it tastes good to them or what they're asking uh, for you to do, they bleat. Right? They bleat in abstinence instead of bowing in obedience. And lastly, right, shepherds uh, also need, or sheep also need to be kept. All right, the truth is sheep hate restraints. They don't like restraints. If you were in Israel, I happened to be there a couple times, I literally talked to shepherds, and I actually watched how they shepherd. And uh, they're not exactly the, uh, the, the loyal dog that wants to follow you all around. They tend to go astray. And uh, they need to be kept in line. So the truth is, sheep hate restraints. They hate rules. They don't like to feel confined or convicted. They want their freedom to say, do whatever they want. Uh, I'm talking about people now as sheep. They want their freedom to come and go as they please. They don't want to be told what to do. They uh, They want to be asked what to do. And when their freedom is questioned by the shepherd because of the things they're doing... Uh, which sometimes the shepherd has to do, they get defensive and defamatory. And yes, when their freedom is in jeopardy, they begin sometimes to bite. I don't know if you know that, but sheep sometimes do. I remember a close pastor friend of mine telling me when I entered into ministry, sheep are always timid, sometimes they get mean, and sometimes they'll bite you. And and I, I thought he was just joking around until I got into the pastorate. But you know what confirmed it? Galatians. In Galatians 5.13 it says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, ye only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, but if ye bite and devour one another. Isn't that amazing? That's in the Bible. That if you, de- if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed of one another. So sheep do bite, you know, they do say things that hurt sometimes. And, uh, but in their defense, sheep are easily scared and they're easily intimidated by what's going on around them. They are very fearful, vulnerable to wolves, 
And Jesus, our great shepherd, said he would send us as his sheep. Where? In the midst of wolves. That's exactly where we are, my friends. We are in the midst of wolves. And uh, if you're going to be a fearful person and not uh, get over those fears, you'll be reclusive. Um, you will, you know, bite, get defensive and defamatory. Uh, so you've got to remember what we're called to do. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we're not to go out there and attack or retaliate uh, or anything like that or give vengeance. So the state of the flock right now in New York and in the world, I'd have to say, in the country, is in not in so good shape. It really isn't. When we look about what's happening right now and what we're having to deal with, gratefully and thankfully, uh, it, I see some signs of a turnaround. I'm seeing some signs of that. So sometimes it's easy to lose sight of who we are, or I should say, whose we are. And uh, when living in a world that's no longer concerned about God, or living by any moral restraints, we're losing our children to the, the evils of this world right now, our little lambs are, are being devoured by Satan's ravenous wolves uh, to where a little child between three and four years old is now making a decision whether he's a boy or a girl. I, I listened to a, 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 a grandfather on YouTube address a school board about a book that was written uh, to four or five-year-olds talking about gender, who you are, and all that stuff. And he says, and, it, and he just was very clear, it's all about sex. He says, and a child at that age don't have anything, doesn't know anything at all about sex. And you're, you're feeding that into them before they even have a chance to find out who, who they are concerning this. You know? So it was just amazing what I'm watching right now. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11 says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Peter exhorts them to remember who they are, right? In this world of corruption and what they, ha and what they have, right? In Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm telling all of you today. Who are we? We're his sheep. He is our shepherd. So when someone is considering a mate, you know when you, you think about it and you find someone who is, eye, I call eye candy to them, and, and then friendly and loving, and I often hear someone say, he or she is a keeper. You ever hear that said? He or she is a keeper. And that simply means he or she has been evaluated by you, and, and you have come to the conclusion they are valuable to you, you enough to pursue after them. Uh, I remember how my son-in-law came into our, our family. Um, he had driven Pastor Crab uh, uh, from Pennsylvania. Pastor Crab couldn't drive because he was mostly blind, so he'd driven from Pennsylvania into our church, and he was asleep on our pews downstairs. And having three eligible daughters, Pat and I looked at him and evaluated him. <laughs> he was handsome. I hope he watches this, by the way. <laughs> he was handsome. That clicked a button. He was doing mission work. That clicked another button. He was saved and loved the Lord, and 
that clicked another button. And, and most importantly, he was single. And he had no significant other in his future. So Pat and I, simultaneously, as we looked at him together, said, he's a keeper. And then what we did is we went and uh, tried to figure out which of our daughters we could probably present to him. <laughs> and then we thought one that was going to be wasn't, and he ended up with my oldest daughter, which was fine, and they got a beautiful family. I remember, I, I, I got to get a rabbit trail on this a little bit because my wife, but I remember several of my friends and all of my, all of my family members saying that, that same thing to me concerning my wife, Pat. They said, don't be a fool. You had better get your act together. They said, girls like this just don't, don't choose guys, just don't choose guys like you. <laughs> That's what they said. Girls like this just don't choose guys like you. Grab her before it's too late because she's a, she's a keeper. And she was beautiful, but I knew I had, I, I knew she had bad eyesight because she chose me. <laughs> of all the good looking guys she could have had. And when I finally came to my senses, I married her before she got her glasses and realized what she had married. <laughs> so I shudder to think how my life would have ended up if I had listened to my, if I hadn't listened to my family and my friends. Uh, that decision was 46 years ago this past month and has brought me more blessings than any other decision except for my decision to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. But the Lord is our keeper. And he is the keeper of his church. But what I am often reminded of by the cross of Christ's sacrifice is this. And this is where I want to encourage you. You too are keepers. All of you here. Because he looked at us in our sin and he said this, as the, as a three, uh, as a, a three person God had come together and said, they are keepers, I, I just, we just have to help them see their need of us. That's all. We just had to help them see their need of us. And that's what we do as Christians. We try to help people see their need of their Savior. And then he did the unthinkable. He died for us and he took us, and as he took his last breath, he forgave us you know, to save us from the consequences of our sin, and then rose from the dead, and then he offered us eternal, eternal life. So who are we? Who are we? You know, we're the ones he died for. And we may not feel much like anything at times, but to Jesus Christ, we're keepers. And if you know him as your Savior, he's never going to lose you. Can't lose your salvation once you come to him. What's sad is there are millions of souls out there that have no idea of the value that God has put on them. No, absolutely no idea. No one has showed them the value of their souls and the importance of the cross that Jesus bore for them just to save them. First uh, Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us we, which are the saved, it is the power of God. Matthew 16.26, For what is a man profit of? It should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know the verse came to mind this past week with that submersible sub? There's a man on there who had more money than he could ever have asked for. Billionaire. And, and actually, I think, I think two of them were billionaires. And, and a father's son, both of them. The son was scared to death to go down. He went for his father's sake, and they all lost their life. And I'm talking like that. I don't know if you're familiar with an implosion, but I've been reading up on it. It actually is just as sound-bearing as an explosion, only it's like instantly you're, you're gone, evaporated just like that. They'll never find those bodies and they'll be able to bring them back up. 
They'll bring back the, the remains of the sub and stuff like that. So Jesus Christ gave himself for his, this church because it was worth it to him. And this, this church right here was a keeper to him. That's why it's lasted here for, what is it, 36, 37 years? Um, I don't think sometimes we understand who we are. I really don't. And the importance of him uh, to us as born-again believers. Um, we, we, we got a lot to do in this life. And there's a lot that we have to do just to survive in this life. But who are we? Well, get your, get your pencils ready if you want to try to keep up with me on this. I don't know. You may want to try. But I'm going to give you 15 descriptions of who we are that God says we are if we're in Christ. He gives them in his word of who we are to him and how important we are to him and the work that he has given us to do here while we are here. And this is who God says we are when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're unsaved here this morning or watching by live stream and you're unsaved, you have to understand you won't experience these things the way we who are saved do, but you can experience it. So if you're not saved and don't know for sure if you are saved, stay with me till the end and I'll give an invitation at the end to be saved. Here's the first thing we are, and we've already mentioned it. We are the sheep of his pasture. So we thy people and sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. Psalm 79, 13. I hope you're showing praise for being one of his sheep. And it says in Psalm 100, verse 3, that we just read, Know ye, not, uh, know ye that the Lord, he is God, and he, he, it is he that hath made us. Do you understand, everybody, that he's your creator? And not we ourselves. There's nothing we did. There's no evolutionary chain, right? We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He's the one that keeps us and feeds us and seeks us. He's the one that does all that. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, Psalm 95, 7, and the sheep of his hand. We are supposed to follow his leading, and sheep need to follow the example of the shepherd, or they will get themselves in big trouble. So he gave, the, he gave his all for his flock, and we are to give our all to him while we, what I call, gaze in his fields of grace. Right? That's who we are. Or people of his past. Secondly, we're servants of his quarters. We are servants of his quarters. Mark 13, 34, for the Son of Man is, a, is as a man talking a far journey, taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Luke 19, 13, and he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. In other words, we're servants of his quarters. Uh, servants serve. That's what we do. We serve. We, uh, we watch over the master's property and, and his possessions. So we've been uh, privileged as his servants to do so. And what a privilege it is, isn't it? To watch over things. I was, I was thinking about, you know, special thanks to David this past week. He was here for three days with those plumbers. Uh, so we're going to be warm next winter. You know, there's, uh, there's people that have to do things like that in the church. Uh, they have to spend time and serve so they maintain and, and never m misuse their privileges that are granted to them. That's who we are. They are faithful stewards of their master's property and all of his possessions. So servants don't drop the ball. They're not lazy. They don't neglect what has been given to them to do. They just remember who they're working for. 
Do you remember who you're working for? <laughs> you're laboring for Jesus, by the way. A lot of people, both dead and alive, have made great sacrifices and service to him, and that's the reason we have what we have today. I think about the military and all the life that was given so that we'd have these freedoms so I can stand up here in this pulpit and preach the word of God. So are you one of his servants? Are you one of them? Does your giving and your serving in his quarters reveal that you're a servant? Because it should. Here's the third thing. We're soldiers of his army. We're his infantry. We're his foot soldiers. We're his battle warriors. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Listen, there are so many Christians right now, and I'm sorry to say this, that are entangled with this life. It's just tripping them up, sucking the life right out of them, the spiritual life that they have in Christ. Good soldiers don't retreat. They don't go AWOL. They're, not, uh, they're honored to be a soldier. They stay in the fight. They fight for the cause. They don't fraternize with the enemy or flee when things don't go their way. You see, good soldiers they just stay there. They stay in the fight for the cause of what they love and who they love. They fight for things that are important to them, just like a, a, a husband who loves his wife will fight for his wife and his children. So here's the question. Does your service declare you are on the winning side? That you're a soldier fighting for Jesus? Are you a Christian soldier who loves Christ? The one that you're fighting for? Because it is a fight out there. It's a battle. He really does all the fighting. But he wants us in the battle. He doesn't call us out of the battle. He just says stand and watch. But he just asks us to stand there and watch him do his, do his thing as we pray to him to get involved and to take over and succeed and win. Here's number four. We are subjects of his kingdom. Isn't that a good one? His church is actually a representative of his kingdom and, his, and, he, and how he graciously accepted us into it. There should nobody walk through the door of this church that doesn't feel accepted. Who hath delivered us from the power of a darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? Colossians 1.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, right? That, that we should walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. So we are, listen, everybody, this is glorious, isn't it? We are subjects of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Amen? Man, we should be shouting that from the rooftops, right? We are to we bow down to no other. We are to behave like subjects of servant to our king, who's the greatest king ever. Not to ourselves or to this world. We don't want to get caught up in that. Right? We serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus Christ. If you don't serve him, you don't know him as your Lord. Listen, oh please, please today, settle that issue. Number five, do you know that we're citizens of his city? We're citizens of his city in his country, actually. Hebrews 13, 4, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. There's a glorious city that's going to descend out of the skies pretty soon, the new Jerusalem. By the way, this is not our permanent home. And I hope you all understand that. 
homes will come and go. Um, this past four years, we lived out of, like I said, suitcases, motel rooms, RVs, uh, bedrooms. Uh, I mean, we were all over the place for four years, not knowing where we were going to be next. But really, it was kind of fun in some ways uh, to be with my wife and be moving around, not knowing what's happening next and doing it all by faith. But do you realize all that's going to be over soon and we're going to be in our new prepared place that Jesus is preparing for us right now? It's not about investing into the here and now. It's about making investments into the hereafter and the internal place where, we'll be, where we're headed to, the eternal city of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians 2.6 says this, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're setting in heavenly places when we know Christ is our Savior. And, and the Bible says, Abraham, look for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Do you understand that? Our builder and our maker is God. And he's preparing a place for us. And can you imagine what it would be like? Because he knows everything we like. And he loves us. I just can't imagine what it is. Is it a mansion? I think it's a, it might be a part of a mansion, yeah. Like he said, there are many mansions. But he said, I'm building you a place. That might even be better than a mansion. If Abraham and his family had been mindful of the country from whence they had come out of, they might have turned back to it. But they didn't. They went ahead by faith, and that's what we're supposed to do. But they desired a better country, that is a heavenly, whose builder and maker is God. You know, I wrote down here, what we desire the most is where we invest the most of our time and money. So, is it in that eternal place? Or is it in our temporary place? What are we investing in? What can you get in this life when that's going to stay? It's only going to be Temporary. It's all about what you get in the next life. So here's number six. We're the disciples of his word. You're keeping up. I can see the pen's writing. You're keeping up with me well. You're disciples of his word. I told you, this, this, this message, uh, of all the messages I've ever given, I've given, I, I predicted just the other day that I've given about 8,000 messages in my time um, as far as into a church uh, setting. I've done probably more as far as doing things impromptu. Uh, but I think I've given in 30 years, I've, in, well, almost 37 years, I've given probably close to 8,000 messages. I'm a disciple of his word. They said to Jesus, the, uh, then said Jesus to the Jews, which believed on him. We just read this this morning in Sunday school. If you're not in Sunday school, you should be here. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. You know who we are? We're truth bearers for Christ. That's what a disciple is of his word. We're a truth bearer for Christ. His disciples not only believed his word, but they lived his word out in their lives, and that's the way we are to do that, too. James 1, 22 and 25, but, ye, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way. In other words, he just takes a good, quick look and just goes on his way doing the same old things and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. 
right? When we looked into the mirror before we were saved, we saw a sinful wretch. But after we're saved, we look into the mirror and we see how God sees us as a saved sinner and now being called a saint. Here's number seven. I like this one personally because I had an uncle who was an ambassador. We're the ambassadors for his cause. Is there not a cause, David said? I'm going to ask all of you. Is there not a cause here in the Schenectady, Albany, Gilderland area? Is there not a cause here? Of course there is. Right? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ then. 2 Corinthians 5.20 We are ambassadors. What is your cause in this life? Just to be good people? To be successful people? Or to be his ambassador? To be his people? What is your cause for being here in this church? Is it just my weekly routine? Or is it to bring Christ to this area in the world? And to fellowship with him? Where he said two, two or more are gathered together, there he is in the midst. Isn't our main cause to be the ambassador of 1 Kings 8.60? If you don't have this verse marked in your Bible, you should. 1 Kings 8.60 is what Solomon says, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. That's our cause. That all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there's none else. There's a whole, there's billions, there's 8.3 billion people today and most of them think uh, that they're, they're in, involved in some other God or, or some other religion or whatever and he's saying that all the people of the earth may know that's our cause. It's to let everybody know who Jesus Christ is and he's the only way into heaven. I had a great uncle who was an ambassador for the United States I forget what country it was to, though. I, I forget to this day. In fact, he died when I was only in my teens. He was an authorized representative of the United States of America. And he traveled overseas to wherever this place was, back and forth from Florida. And that's who we are in Christ. We are authorized by Christ to go on his behalf, representing him with the good news of salvation. If Christ and building his church here in the Albany, Skenfrey area is not your main cause, may I just say with all the love I can in my heart that you have a flaw in your cause? Or there's a clause in your cause that says this, that says this, that states you come first and not Christ and not his church. Here's number eight. We're going to get there, I think, before the end of the, end of the hour, but... We're the students of his class. Uh, I just ordered some uh, calling cards, um, just a few of them to have for Lighthouse Baptist. And I always put anything that I sign. I don't put Wade, I don't put Pastor Wade Prime. I always put Wade L. Prime, pastor, preacher, and pupil of Jesus Christ. I'm still learning, aren't you? I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm just a couple dog's year, maybe from being 75, I'm thinking about that now. And I, I'm still learning every day. I love learning, actually. But we're students of his class. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he said. Right? For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So think about this. 
You know the job you work at every day inside and out, don't you? You know it well. And if you didn't know it well, you wouldn't have that job very long. Is that right? Think, the question is, do you know what your job is concerning Christ in the church? Do you know what your talents are that he wants to use and maybe that you're not using? Could you, call, could you tell me them if I pulled you aside privately and said, Which, you're a student of his class, so do you know what is it he wants you to do? What is it that he's talking to you about? Could you tell them my job is to follow Jesus confidently? My job is to obey his commands. My job is to build and provide for his church. My job is to reach those souls that he left me to reach when he went back to heaven. My job is to simply serve him. That's what I want to do all my life. If it isn't, you're failing at your job requirements. Here's number nine. We're children of his family. This is a no-brainer. No we are the Lord's offspring. We, he chose us to be his children. He want, listen to me. He wants us to look like him. I was at uh, my son-in-law's birthday party yesterday, and I was sitting across from his sister. And just prior to that, his mother was sitting in that spot. So I'm talking to her right now, and all of a sudden she gets up and moves, and then her daughter comes and sits right across from the table, and I'm looking at her going, it's like going back 40 years. I mean, it was amazing. It's like she looked, I, I imagine... Uh, that uh, her mother looked just like her, and that's what I was thinking because I, was, I obviously had this message on my mind. Right? It's fun to see how people look like others. But God wants us to look like him. Isn't that amazing? It's a no-brainer. We are the Lord's offspring. He chose us to be his children. He wants us to look and act like him, sound like him. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Uh, Acts 17, 28. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are his, uh, the children of God. Our, our spirit, the spirit that beareth witness with our spirit, uh, as it portrays out to the public, it should say that we're his children. God is our Father in heaven. If we are instructed to take care of our parents here on earth, don't you think we're, we're, we're here to take care of our Father in heaven too? And to do his work until he returns? Listen, and I love this next one. Here's number 10. We're the friends of his choosing. We're the friends of his choosing. He wants to be my friend, and he wants me to be his friend. He wants me to make him my friend, and, you, and, he, and he already is my, uh, my friend as far as he, he has accepted me as, and drew me in as a friend. John 15, 13 through 16, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And here's the four words that caught my heart years ago. Ye are my friends. You're my friends. The next, if you do whatsoever I command you, henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. Isn't it amazing how you know what your friends are doing? You know, because you love them and you care about them and uh, uh, you don't really know what your co-worker is doing so much. You're, you know, another servant in the same trade. But you know, what you know what your friends are doing. For all things I have heard of the Father, I have made known unto you that 
You have not chosen me. I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, it, he may give it to you. I love that analogy. It's like, I'm your friend. Jesus says, I'm your friend. Listen, I, my Father, he'll give you whatever you want. I was talking to a, a, a young man yesterday. He was talking about he was talking about his daughter. He says uh, they go they, they go to he, he gives her ten dollars like at a game or something and says you know she wanted to get something to eat and she comes back she needs more money. I don't know how old is she, Pat? I don't even know how old she is. Nine. And he goes, "What are you doing with all that money?" And he couldn't figure it out. She goes, "I just need some more." He says, "I thought she was just a big eater." Then all of a sudden I caught her. He said, I gave her another $10. She went over. She's buying everybody else food. That's what she's doing. Her friends. It's my father. He's got lots of money. Hey, he'll feed you. That's who our father is. And friends stay close, by the way. We are the ones who are supposed to know what the Lord is doing, like a friend knows what the friend is doing. And oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry to God to carry everything to God in prayer. And it goes on. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have ye trials and temptations? Yeah. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. What? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? May I suggest to you, no, <laughs> you're not going to find one so faithful. Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Here's number 11. We've got four more. Three of. We're the members of his body. Ephesians 5.30, for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 23, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. So we are necessary parts of his body. You all with me still? He needs us. And, and listen, I used to say this all the time. I've heard it said, and I've said it myself, right? Uh, he doesn't need us. Uh, technically and truthfully, he doesn't. He doesn't need us. He chose to have us. But, meaning he could do just fine without us of all the problems that we cause him, but this is true, but there's, but there's a big but in the middle of that, right? He chose us to be members of his body. Therefore, he has chosen to need us. He needs us to be active members in a living organization of, a, of, of the church in order for his body to multiply and survive and grow. Remember when he sent for the cult? I have need of him, he says. I have need of him. And that's the way we are to be to him. He has need of us. Number 12, we're the workmanship of his hands. 
But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, thou art the potter, and we are the work of thy hand. Isaiah 64, 8. And of course, Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen, do you know who we are? We're a, a masterpiece of God. Every one of you. And the, way we're, and the way we're destroying our bodies right now is amazing to me when they're so precious to him. We're doing everything to their bodies now today. Ever notice that? Everything. We're piercing it, tattooing it. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, now we're mutilating young children, taking their um, private parts and cutting them off. And uh, We're doing all these things today out there, the body that, that uh, he made for us when we're his greatest masterpiece, right? We, nothing in the heavens even compares to a soul. We are to be the vessels of honor and not of dishonor. What does, that, what does the quality and purity of your vessel reveal about who you are in Christ or how he is working in you? Does it say he's doing a good job or does it say he's failing at the job he was given to do? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. We are not doing that today in the world, in, this, in the state that we're in in this country right now. We're mutilating the vessel. 13, we're almost done. We're the partakers of his bread. And by the way, may I say this? This is my favorite one. I love eating at the table of friends and family and church members. I love it. I love getting to know people that way. I just, uh, it was one thing me and Pastor Crabb had in common. We just loved being in the presence of people. In fact, he'd always pray, oh Lord, you allowed us to do this today with this coming. It never happened before in all of eternity. Right? And here we are, dining at the table of someone we love. But do you know in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Uh, we are partakers of his bread. And I want to tell you something, that's one of the greatest privileges we have today. We're allowed to eat at his table. We get to commune with God at his table, eating his bread, dining in his house, conversing with him personally. When, when mom called us kids to the table, she expected us to get there quickly. Anybody like that? When she called, it was like, you've you got to get there fast. You're going to get a whooping by the time you get home. But I, I don't think it was so much about obedience to get there as far as uh, honoring her, you know, her command. I think is this. Feeding her family was special to her. And she put a lot of heart and soul into the meal that she was about to feed the loved ones that she had brought into the world. And, and she wanted to see them enjoy it and be grateful for it. Don't you think our Heavenly Father feels the same way? I mean, don't you think Jesus is looking forward to that day when he can eat with you at his table? Does he deserve any less? You know, it joys him to see us eating at the table together. It does. 
So I don't know, you're going over to Bellevue, a whole bunch of you today, probably? Enjoy yourselves. My wife's making me a pot roast. But enjoy yourselves. Here's 14. We're almost done. Hang on. I'm not going to keep it too much longer. We're the laborers of this field. Second, or 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We are co-workers with God. We do the teaching and the preaching and the reaching. And he does the saving and the securing. It's amazing. It all revolves around the church he plants to serve him and, and the saved souls he uses to labor for him. I always say in the journey, we're all in this journey together. God somehow put us together in this journey in this church. And that's what local churches are all about. There's a body of people in every church that God has put together in the journey so they'll have each other so they can labor together in the field. He actually hired us as a, a, to a very special position. I remember applying for my first, what I call, significant job on the railroad. It was the highest paid job in the area, but also the hardest one to get. And uh, you really had to know someone. And fortunately, I did. My grandfather was an engineer. He actually drove the Empire Limited. It went from Albany to New York City. Listen, everyone. You know somebody. Yes, you do. You personally know the employer that you labor for. He's not just anybody. He's your eternal father that has privileged you to be a part of his team. And last but not least, we're the witnesses of his existence. I'm not sure I understand. How'd that happen? That's interesting. Well, let me help you understand. I think that's Siri, I think. I'm not sure. In Isaiah 43, 10, it says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. But ye shall receive power, Acts 1, 8. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the other mo most parts of the earth. Here's how I want to close. While the world tries to eradicate his existence, we are here to authenticate it. While they're trying to push him out of the picture, we're trying to bring him back into the picture. Because we are the witness, his witnesses. I hope you now see and understand why I'm, what I'm trying to say to you today with all of these 15 things. Who are we? We are his. We're the sheep of his pasture. We're the servants of his quarters. We're right here. We're the soldiers of his army. We're the subjects of his kingdom. We're the citizens of his country, the disciples of his word, the ambassadors of his cause, the students of his class, the children of his family, or the friends of his choosing, the members of his body, the workmanship of his hands, the partakers of his bread, the witnesses of his existence. Do you see why I think this is going to be one of my favorite messages I've ever given? If you're saved, born again, you are the most privileged person on planet Earth. How could you ask for anything more? 
But if you're not saved and have not been born again, you have a different father. And his name is Satan. And you have a different uh, 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 eternal position or different position, eternally lost, with a different destination, hell instead of heaven. So, but that can all change right now with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I invite you to be all these things. You can do that today if you don't know for sure that you're saved and his. Let's bow our heads. With heads up bowed and eyes closed and hearts open, we invite you to call upon Jesus if you haven't already. Accept his invitation and be saved. And if there's anybody in here that has heard all this and wouldn't want to be saved, I pity you to think all that you can have and be in him. So I invite you right now to admit to Jesus you're a sinner in no way to save yourself from the penalty of your sin. Oh, don't pay the sin debt yourself and die in eternal, eternally in, in a place called hell. And then acknowledge Jesus paid your sin debt. And in your place at Calvary's Crows and rose from the dead to save you. From, his, from God's wrath and, and give you eternal life with him both now and forever. I encourage you to remember that your God is rich in mercy, ready to forgive, with an outstretched arm always to take your hand. So finally, just accept Jesus by faith and the free gift of eternal life that he offers you by repenting or turning from your sins and calling out to him and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. I know you're the Savior, and I'm coming to you what little faith I have. Is there anybody right here, right now, in this church, by the raised hand, would say, that's what I'm asking God right now? Anybody at all? And I hope within the sound of my voice they make that decision. It'll change your life forever. Everything we talk about today will be yours. And if you'll sincerely pray right now for Jesus to save you from your sin and receive him as your Savior, he will do it. He promises he would. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I also know this, with every head bowed and every eye closed, God speaks and the Spirit moves through the preacher and his teaching and the Word of God, and he addresses hearts. So with the head still bowed, eyes still closed, who would say by the raised hand, I was convicted today, I didn't realize how much I mean to him. Anybody at all, amen, all over the place. Amen. I really didn't realize how much that I meant to him. I'll pray for you. I want, I want you to experience it all, to be a servant worth using, a child worth rewarding, and a soldier worth honoring. So let's all stand. Let's all stand. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.